0: Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jared Bumpers, Assistant Professor of Preaching and Evangelism at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Kansas City, Missouri. Today, I wanna welcome Dr. David Allen to the podcast. David currently serves as Distinguished Visiting Professor of Practical Theology and Dean of the Adrian Rogers Center for Biblical Preaching at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary in Memphis, Tennessee. He's authored numerous books, including The Extended Atonement, a historical and critical review, text driven preaching, a commentary on Hebrews, in the New American Commentary series, and other volumes as well. He's also pastored churches in Texas for more than 20 years. Dr. David Allen, welcome to Preaching and Preachers.
1: Hey, thank you very much, Dr. Bumpers. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you join us. And today we're going to discuss resources for preparing sermons. This is something you've written about previously. Uh, Your book, Preaching Tools, covers this. And I know it's something you've discussed on your podcast over at Preaching Coach, but I think the conversation will benefit listeners of Preaching and Preachers, and so excited to have you join us. And and from what I hear, I know that this conversation isn't just theoretical for you. Uh, You've been teaching, preaching, and collecting resources related to preaching for over 40 years and there are people here at Midwestern who knew you while you were teaching previously at Southwestern Seminary, and I hear you have quite the library.
1: <laughs> well, I've been a bibliophile, you might even say a bibliomaniac,
0: ever <laughs> since I was
1: 16 years old when God called me to preach. And uh, I've collected uh, quite, a, quite a large library, I've pro- approximately 25,000 print volumes, and then about wow. 20,000 uh, digital volumes. I have a number of digital volumes from the early English books online. I've got you know a lot of stuff, the Puritan stuff that's not in print mm. that uh, I have collected. And so probably my digital library, not counting lagos i have I have uh, the Lagos, the largest uh, whatever they call it, but the most advanced Lagos that you can have where they have two hundred million books on it. I've got that. But these are, that's not counting that. Those are mostly newer things. I've got stuff that goes back into the 1600s in the early English books online. Counting that through about the 19th century, I've got about 20,000 digital volumes. So about 25,000 print, about 20,000 digital.
0: Man, that's incredible. I'm not sure where that ranks. I know <laughs> it's more than a uh, prospective seminary student has. I don't know where that ranks on the the scale of new seminary student to Rick Warren's Hidden Library. It's somewhere on the spectrum there, but uh, no, that that's great to hear. I know you've acquired, uh, as you mentioned, a ton of resources, some some of the best resources on preaching. And so, uh, my, my goal today is just to have you provide some suggestions, some practical suggestions for listeners who are looking to build their library and strengthen their preaching. And so, okay. sure, you bet want to start with asking a common question. I'm asked this. I'm sure you've been asked it uh, numerous times. But if, if there was a young man who didn't have seminary training, he came and he asked you for a recommendation, and you could only recommend one book on preaching, what would that book be and why? Oh, my goodness. Only one book on
1: preaching. If I had to do that, he had no training whatsoever, I would recommend the Jerry Vines and Jim Shattuck's book, Power in the Pulpit. Uh, I think that, to me, is one of the best, if not the best, especially entry-level work on the subject of preaching, and that would probably be my choice.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's such a tough question. I hate when I'm asked it because I I always think, well, do you want a book that focuses on the theology of preaching? Do you want a book that that talks about practical methods of preparing sermons? Uh, What what exactly are you looking for? But, uh, yeah, I think that's a great answer, a, a great book to introduce someone to the subject of of homiletics. Well, here's a related question, but maybe this is one for not the new or aspiring preacher, but the seasoned or experienced preacher. If you could only recommend one book on preaching to help a, a veteran preacher improve their preaching or grow in their preaching, what would it be and why? And again, I realize this has the same limitations. What area of preaching are they wanting to grow in? But maybe a more advanced book to help a guy grow in preaching. He's got some experience, but would like to grow.
1: Well, uh, that's a difficult question, too, because of the nature of—I uh, mean, there are so many different ways to go there. Difficult for me to answer that. Of course, the book that uh, Danny Aiken and Ed Matthews and I co-edited called Text-Driven Preaching is a, a book that I would recommend, particularly for the chapters in there written by uh, David Allen Black. Of course, they're all good. All the chapters in there are good— but my chapter in there is called Preparing a Text-Driven Sermon, and it's a bit more of a—it's uh, linguistically informed, and it would be a good a good book for somebody to use that maybe has had some seminary training, now they really want to take another step on this. I would probably say that, but but that sounds too much like tooting my own horn, even though I co-edited that That's not only me, Danny Aiken and Ned Matthews. Did that. i tell you what, if you'll allow me to give an author, Mm -hmm. I would tell people to read the three different works that have been written on preaching by Stephen Smith.
0: Okay.
1: That's what I would do. You know, Stephen Smith's written a couple of books on preaching on his own, and he and Robbie Gallaty also written on uh, preaching on text-driven preaching. And Dr. Smith's work on the subject of preaching and genres and all of that would be, uh, and they're, they're, it's not that they're advanced, but I mean, it would help someone who is at, at a little bit more of an advanced level to d- deal with some things there that would be helpful to them in their preaching. Now, this is going to sound very anachronistic, but John Broadus's work on preaching is still a substantial work, I know he wrote it, you know, back in the mid the nineteenth century, but that actually is a book every preacher ought to read. I reread it recently, It'd been a while since I'd read it. Now don't read the later editions. Don't read the third and fourth edition. Those have been chopped up pretty badly in my view. You want to make sure you read the first edition or the uh, the second edition that was edited by Dargan, mm-hmm. uh, but those are very those have tons of great material in them that would help a pastor take another step in their preaching.
0: Man, praise the Lord! You're speaking my love language. I wrote my dissertation on John Broadus, and uh, oh yeah, I could I could not agree more. I'm always struck when I'm reading Broadus at how how timeless his advice is as it relates to preaching, and and even the advice there, you know, the eighteen. His first edition was published in 1870, Treatise on the Preparation and Delivery of Sermons. The 1898 edition includes some of, Dargan incorporates some of his notes and updates it. But beyond that, it kind of deviates from some of his original ideas and designs as it relates to preaching. So that's
1: great advice. I'm with you. And those books by Stephen Smith, you know, the two he wrote prior to the one he wrote with Robbie Gallaty are Dying to Preach and then Recapturing the Voice of God. They're not lengthy works, and they're certainly not difficult to read, but they what what's in there is so good that it would help someone move to another level in their preaching if they would learn to follow what Stephen Smith
0: is suggesting in those books. yeah, I agree. Recapturing the voice of God is a great book and will help guys move beyond kind of the general some of the general suggestions as it relates to preaching. And it really yeah. helped them pay attention to the, the genre and the style of the particular text they're preaching and how that should inform right. the way they structure their sermon and even the, the, right. the purpose or the goal or the feel of the sermon itself. So those are great recommendations.
1: Absolutely. I also recommend pastors read if they want to take another step. Uh, read in the area of the history of preaching. Mm. That will actually uh, do a great deal for their own preaching. Read the various histories of preaching you know, that are out there, start with Larson, it's an easier read, you know, and from a Methodist perspective, you've got Weber, W-E-B-B-E-R, you've got His History of Preaching, of course, uh, you've got the three volumes, you know, by Dargan, third volume, after Dargan passed, as you know, was edited by Ralph Turnbull, written by Ralph Turnbull, then the Hughes Elephant Old. Get Davies' three big three volumes uh, on preaching and read that. That would be good. O. C. Edwards on the history of preaching. Reading the area of preaching would be my advice if a guy's been preaching for a while and he really wants
0: to uh, take another step. That would be one way to do it. Man, that, all that advice is great. I I can't help but think those who are listening who've been preaching for a while. Uh, you, you've given them some good resources to help them continue to progress in their preaching.
1: And I left out a legacy of preaching. The two volumes edited by Forrest and King Curtis and Miliani those that those two volumes called a legacy of preaching covers uh, you know the history of preaching with great preachers. It goes uh, goes back to the patristic era and works its way through the modern era. Those two are highly recommended as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. And we'll give them a good introduction to some some great historical preachers. So that's right. great. Well, you mentioned earlier, I want to move here to the to the resources for preparing sermons and be as practical as, as we can be. You mentioned your chapter in text-driven preaching where you talk about preparing a text-driven sermon. And in there, you give right. 12 steps to prepare a, a sermon, 12, 12 sermon preparation steps. So your model— or method for preparing sermons. And so I think probably the best way for us to approach this particular episode on the podcast is to have you summarize those 12 steps, and then I'll group some of the steps together, but have you give some recommended resources to help preachers as they work through those steps. So I'll start by asking you to just kind of briefly summarize those 12 steps for our listeners.
1: Well, this is a methodology of preaching that I've been using personally for probably 35 years or more, and I've been teaching it as well. Yeah, these can be found on pages 119 and 120 in the book, Text-Driven Preaching, in my chapter. And basically, one of the things that I highly recommend, now this is linguistically informed, but a lot of preachers start at the lower level of language, the word level, whatever, and then they kind of work their way up. I think that's backwards. It's better to start at the bigger level, start, for example, at the paragraph level, uh, preach at least one paragraph, Uh, no matter whether you're preaching two books of the Bible or you're preaching a standalone text that's not in a series, I highly recommend for linguistic reasons that you don't preach less than a paragraph. One of the things that we've learned linguistically in the last uh, 50 or so years is that meaning is not only located at the sentence level, it is also located at the paragraph level. Hmm. In fact, a paragraph is the fundamental communication unit. So begin at the paragraph level in your preparation, like whatever your text is, say if your text is Hebrews 12, 1 1 through 3, that is a paragraph in the Greek New Testament. It's the great let us run with endurance the race set before us paragraph. And so start at the paragraph level. Then work your way down to the sentences, clauses, phrases, and words. And that is the, if I were to recommend a sermon prep methodology that uh, will cover all the bases, uh, that's how I recommend uh, going about beginning to prepare, the exegetical process. Mm -hmm. So start big picture, start the paragraph, work your way down to the word level. So you deal with paragraph analysis first, then you're going to go from there down to the sentences. How many sentences are in my paragraph? Well, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, there are two sentences. Verses 1 and 2 is one sentence in the Greek New Testament. Verse 3 is a second sentence. Verse 3 is introduced by subordinating conjunction, translated for. So the second sentence modifies the first sentence in terms of providing the grounds for the exhortation that's in the first sentence. Once you figure that out from there, it's easy to, to see the structure develop as you move to the clause level. You see the, the hortatory subjunctive, let us run with endurance, the race set before us. You see three participial clauses that are modifying that, telling us how to run or why to run or conditions involved in running. And so we analyze uh, the clause level and then you go to the various phrases and look at the key phrases that are there, you identify particularly prepositional phrases like cloud of witnesses. Any phrase in English that has the word of in it needs to be carefully looked at because in English grammar, just like in Greek grammar, the of there, the genitive case, has six major uses. And the same is true in English. We just don't think of it that way. But analyzing the phrases and what they mean and how they are included in a given clause and sentence, deal with the phrases, then finally move to the words. Look at the word studies that you need to do of significant words. And that, that process, I have used that process for 35 years. and I've taught that process to thousands of students, as well as pastors and others in workshop settings, or literally around the world. And so I know it works, but that's not why we do it. We don't do it because it's pragmatic. But that is a way of doing text analysis that reflects and respects the nature of a text such that we get at the real meaning that's there. And we repackage, we reproduce that meaning. We reproduce the meaning, repackage it in language that the modern culture uh, can understand. So anyway, that uh, in a nutshell... You know, that, that would cover at least those first uh, four of my 12 steps right there. And, and then as far as resources on that very page, 118 and 119, I have a lengthy content footnote mm-hmm. that gives you all of the recommended works, the the uh, lexicons, the grammars, theological dictionaries, and the exegetical works that you need. I highly recommend Kaler and Baumgartner's Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon. I highly recommend Bauer. Arndt Gingrich and Donker's uh, 2000, a third edition, 2000, published in 2000, Greek English lexicon. Lo and Nida deals with semantic domains. I highly recommend the use of that. There are a number of Greek and Hebrew grammars that I suggest to use. Uh, you'll see them in my listing. Then you get into the theological dictionaries and exegetical dictionaries, and uh, I list the top of the line there. Of course, every preacher needs to have D.A. Carson's exegetical fallacies in their library. And then you need one or two good books on both preaching the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, and the Greek New Testament. So Chisholm's work, From Exegesis to Exposition, mm-hmm. is a practical guide to using Hebrew. And then uh, I'm still a big fan of Walter Leafelt's book, New Testament Exposition. I think it's out of print. But that book is a very helpful book. But something along the lines of New Testament exegesis books as well. Those are the kinds of things that you need for, in terms of tools, to, to do all of these 12 steps, but really to do those first four well. And then, of course, commentaries come into play
0: as well. Yeah. Well, we'll get to commentaries in one second. Before we we jump to commentaries, there's one step in between the exegesis and the commentary portion of your, your process, you talk about comparing translations. And so I had two questions yeah. here. I think what you've laid out there is great. They can check out that footnote. The recommendations you just gave are excellent recommendations, especially the the Chisholm and the Lee Field book are both, uh, bo- both solid works. And so, yeah, I would encourage our listeners to go check those out. But What translations would you recommend preachers consider in this step? So outside of whatever their preferred preaching translation is, what translations do you usually go to if you're looking at preaching a passage? You've done the exegetical work, but you're curious as to how other translators have translated the passage.
1: Well, of course, my favorite, too, that I like to use would be the Christian Standard Bible. And I'm probably a little bit biased there because I co-chaired the entire translation team with Tom Schreiner on the uh, Christian Standard Bible, so I'm heavily invested in that, but also the New American Standard Bible I've used for years and the latest New American Standard Bible, uh, I had a small hand and some work on Hebrews in that as well. The thing I like about the New American Standard is it actually tries to render overtly the conjunctions. NIV doesn't do that. CSB does that. Sometimes they don't do it all the time. The ESV, same thing. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. But the New American Standard has made an effort to render overtly those conjunctions. The reason that's important is the nature of conjunctions between sentences and between paragraphs are crucial for the discourse structure. And that's crucial for preaching. Those conjunctions are going to identify, if you've got two paragraphs conjoined, the conjunction used to conjoin will indicate which one of those two is carrying the most important, most dominant information, and which one might be providing grounds of support for the other paragraph. Same is true with the sentence structure. And so I'm a firm believer in analyzing conjunctions. Uh, CSB does that pretty well, but the NASB does that, in my opinion, better than anybody. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I use the New American Standard along with the the CSB.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. I have a, a good friend, uh, Dr. Nathan Harris, who wrote his dissertation on conjunctions in Hebrews. I think the title of his dissertation yeah. was like Conjunction, Junction, What's Your Function? a little uh, schoolhouse rock <laughs> yeah. play on words there, but oh, yeah. looking at conjunctions in Hebrews. And so, yeah, it, it definitely shapes the way we understand the text and how we preach passages. So uh, that's great. It absolutely does. In in fact, the key, in my opinion, the key to interpreting
1: correctly Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, mm. is a careful look at the conjunctions, uh, not just the words that are there, not just the falling away, the participle parapessentized, but look at the conjunctions and the and the previous paragraphs to determine the context. The context is spiritual maturity, and that's demonstrated by five eleven through fourteen and six one through three. Six four through six is then introduced by a subordinate conjunction. Uh, gar, gar is always a subordinate conjunction in the Greek New Testament semantically, and and so. Uh, what's happening in 4 through 6 has been set up in five, eleven through 14, and then 6, 1 through 3. And the issue there is not salvation, the issue is spiritual maturity. So in my opinion, the conjunctions in that section of Hebrews contribute to a careful, uh, what I consider to be the best interpretation of that extremely notoriously difficult text.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, somebody's listening and getting ready to preach. They're preaching to the Hebrews, and they're that text is approaching. You probably helped uh, un- untie a knot for somebody. So, that, that's, <laughs> I hope so. that's great. Thank you. Uh, well, after translations, you talk about commentaries, and I love where you've placed this in your uh, preparation process. A lot of guys will move to the commentaries uh, too quickly. They won't wrestle with the text. And so you've, you've included the commentary work later in the process, and obviously we don't have time to discuss the best commentaries on every particular book of the Bible, but are there some series uh, that you would generally recommend to listeners, some commentary series that you think generally this, this is a helpful series and are there any that they should generally avoid?
1: Yes. You know, I wrote my book preaching tools where I tried to do that, give some suggestions of what I think are top notch commentary series that should be utilized by, by uh, all preachers. And I tried to identify those that are older and And then, of course, those that are newer. And also some of these are, are not necessarily commentary series. they're really more series of sermons, so to speak. Uh, for example, Kent Hughes edits the uh, Preach the Word series or the Preaching the Word series published by Crossway. That is an excellent set, an excellent series for pastors. Hmm. It's not really a commentary. they're really sermons. And I had the honor of writing 1st through 3rd John in that series. And that is a very strong series that's helpful to preachers just in terms of the content that's there that's structured, you know, in a sermonic way. Now, the New American Commentary runs pretty strong. There are some weak volumes in it, Mm. Uh, but the New American Commentary runs pretty strong for pastors that they need more than just something that's devotional but they need something that's less than a technical, exegetical commentary, I would highly recommend that series. I also am a big fan of the Baker exegetical commentary on the New Testament and on the Old Testament. That series runs very strong, and I'm also a big fan of the Zondervan exegetical series. That series runs very strong as well and has some good... Attempts at showing you sort of the linguistic structure now it's they don't go to the beyond the sentence level, and it's a little bit uh, I don't want to be critical because it's good i I, I use them and I highly recommend them uh, but they are making an effort to incorporate what we now know about discourse analysis. In what they're doing in the commentary work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I highly recommend that. Of course, all of the exegetical guides to the Greek New Testament that are published by B and H, as well as others that have series on exegetical guides, those are helpful and important. I highly, highly recommend that. Of course, the New International Commentary on the New Testament and the Old Testament is a series. That runs very strong. The NIV AC, the NIV application commentary published by Zondervan, is one that I recommend especially for preachers. It does do exposition, but it also is strong on giving you ideas of illustration and application. Again, the Pillar series is really good. I think the Pillar series would be very, very, very helpful uh, and I'm leaving out so many. There are lots of good ones really out there. The the Tyndale Old Testament, and New Testament commentaries. They're a little bit lighter in the sense of length mm-hmm. and coverage. They're a little bit more general and broad in coverage. But man, is their stuff good. Tyndall is usually right on top of it. Of course, the Word Biblical Commentary is important for. The technical discussions of Greek and the Hebrew that is there, uh, those run generally strong as well. And I know I'm leaving several out, but these are these are some of the commentaries that I think are bread and butter for preachers today.
0: That's right. Yeah, I think the, those volumes and, and series that you've mentioned, most people listening won't be able to purchase all, go out and purchase all at one time. But if they will, over time, accumulate or try to accumulate key volumes <laughs> as they're preaching through books right. of the Bible, they'll be able to build a solid library, as you've said. We're getting getting close on time here, so let me give you kind of a rapid fire on these last couple questions here. Uh, you, you have three okay. steps dealing with the structure of the text and the structure of the sermon. So diagramming a passage, exegetical outline, and homiletical outline. And then, so I'm going to ask you a question about that in one second. And then you talk about writing a sermon manuscript and then you talk about sermon delivery. And so for kind of the final three-in-one question here, if you could recommend some resources <laughs> as far as structuring the text in the sermon, writing the manuscript, and then delivering the sermon, what resources would you recommend?
1: Well, uh, of, of course, the standard works in homiletics for those— the standard works in homiletics and the standard works of exegetical procedure, like Walter Lee Feld's New Testament exposition— does a real good job of handling that. Walter Kaiser's uh, work on uh, exegetical procedure handles that very well. Chisholm's work on the Hebrew Old Testament uh, and there are other Stuarts' work in the same vein as Chisholm's on the Old Testament. Old Testament exegesis is going to show you how to, how to do those things. But the the better or, or the more practical or usable user-friendly works along those lines would be things like Walter Liefeld's uh, New Testament exposition, something along those lines for both Old and New Testament is going to be very helpful to pull that off. I'm not a big fan anymore of syntactical diagramming. I used to be. I'm more now into block diagramming. Mm-hmm. I think block diagramming is a, a better way and, and a more, more advantageous way for a pastor to see the structure of a text. And the, the Zondervan exegetical commentary series does a good job of, of block diagramming, text or scripture, whatever book you're dealing with there. So does the uh, Walter Liefeld's book that I have already mentioned. In, in terms of, let's see, that's a paragraph exegetical outline movie to the homiletical outline. Those standard works like Vines and Shaddock's Chapel's work on preaching. those kinds of works are going to show you how to develop that outline and how to write out that sermon body, whether you write out a manuscript or not. Now I'm not a manuscript preacher, and and I don't don't normally write a full manuscript. Of all the sermons I preached in my ministry, I've probably got five or six that are manuscripted. Everything mm. else are, are full notes. Okay. I uh, like sermon brief that maybe three or four pages of notes. I'm fine with those who are able to write manuscripts. My hats off to them, but I just don't do that very much. But there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just up to the the person whether you yeah. write the full manuscript for your sermon body or whether you do sermon brief. But those those kind of works are important. Those same kind of works help you with the final steps of introduction and conclusion and delivery issues. Obviously, your technical works are not gonna help you with that. But the homiletical works will help you with learning how to write a good introduction, how to write a good conclusion, and then thinking through delivery issues. And one of the things, if I had it to do over again, I would emphasize more delivery than I did in my early years of teaching preaching. I was so focused on content, getting the structure right, and I paid a little less attention to delivery, both for myself, but also in teaching it. I spend more time on delivery now because, you know, what you say is important, but how you say it is also important. And we need to practice Past- Pastors need to practice that. So they need to read books on delivery, books on rhetoric mm. and learn actually how to push a noun against a verb with an adverb and an adjective thrown in there in such a way that there is a creativity in their delivery that keeps people on the edge of their seat. You know, what do Pizza Hut, Federal Express, and Nolan Ryan all have in common? Well, they're famous for their delivery. Mm. So delivery is crucial. And I would encourage pastors to spend time reading some of the good works on the subject of sermon delivery or read the sections in the books like Divines and Shattuck's books. On sermon delivery, and work on that for their preaching.
0: Man, this has been so helpful. Uh, Thank you again for joining us. Dr. Allen, it's been great to have you on Preaching and Preachers. If you're a guest, thank you again for joining us today. I pray that you've been encouraged. Pray that your preaching will be strengthened, and that eventually your library will be expanded. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com, That's jasonkallen.com.